Hi everyone, welcome to Resourceful Humans. I'm your host, Corey Haber, and today I have with me Giuseppe and Beth. Uh, they're gonna be speaking about employee engagement. They both have very different perspectives and, and different uh, backgrounds, so I'm really interested to hear their opinions and suggestions for you on employee engagement, pre-pandemic and during this pandemic. Uh, so please introduce yourselves. Let's hear what your background is and then we'll jump right in. Sure. Um, do you want me to go first? You can go first. Sure. Okay, so my name is Giuseppe Salomone. I am a co-founder of Varo Team. We are a bookkeeping, accounting, and CFO services firm. Um, we're headquartered in Miami Beach. Um, we have offices in New York City and uh, we serve uh, we have members in nine states throughout the continental United States, um, more than 200 members currently, um, 20 employees. And um, we serve the small to mid-sized business market and, and we support outsourced accounting operations for um, small to mid-sized business owners so that they can focus on what they do. Um, my name is Beth Method. I work uh, for Gap Inc. So I think many people are familiar with Gap Inc. We have a, um, a group of brands, Gap, Banana Republic, Old Navy, Athleta, Intermix, and Janie and Jack. I specifically work in the New York headquarters in the learning and development and talent management space. And so we're a global organization. Um, I largely support Gap brand and Intermix and uh, and so it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a different proposition for for what we're doing as to as to what you guys are doing, Giuseppe. And that's why I like the two of you together on this episode because I think it's important to hear the differences, especially in employee engagement in a larger company versus a more medium-sized company or the in-between. I mean, you're gonna have things are gonna be so different based on the type of employees you have and the number of employees you have. Yep. So yep. I, I think we, it'd be nice first if you could just kind of define for us what do you, you know, what were your views or how did you define employee engagement pre-pandemic? And then mm -hmm. let's hear what the differences are today in your eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can start. Uh, you know, I think I think in the before times, uh, a lot of times we thought of employee engagement as the fun stuff, you know, so that's the, we pull people together in the cafe before Memorial Day and do like a cookout kind of a thing, or, you know, it's the holidays and we'll do like a little cocktail party. And I, I think we looked at it as, um, as the, th the things that added levity and fun in, in, into people's days and gave us people an opportunity to, to spend some time together. And that's definitely true. And there's definitely um, a, a space for that. I think as we've gotten into the pandemic, number one, we're not pulling anyone together at all other than in this type of environment. Um, so I think we've really broadened what we think about as engagement. And I think it, it, it actually helped us to um, actually acknowledge things that were engagement in the past that maybe we weren't looking at. So it, it isn't just about fun, right? And when you do this in a virtual environment, the reality is, it opens up a lot of doors. So people who couldn't connect before, we now can because we don't all need to physically be in the same space. I think when you are using Zoom, everyone's sort of on a level playing field, right? And it also um, I, it also allows us to tap into this need for connection. So working on Zoom all day, every day, the irony is that you're staring at a screen and you're seeing plenty of people, but there's actually a lot less connection. Like 
those moments in the hallway where you're, you know, talking about what, who watched what on TV last night, like those things actually build employee engagement and we don't have those. So I think what we've decided to do is think about engagement as kind of where work and life almost intersect and create different opportunities for things like, you know, learning is a type of engagement. Yes, the Zoom happy hours at the beginning, I think everyone is just about <laughs> done with those, but are there, other, are there other types of social things that we can do? I think the other thing is when you look at what's happening in the world, particularly, you know, the social unrest, we've heard from a lot of people is they want a space to be able to process their feelings, share what's happening and learn. And so, you know, engagement can actually be about hard topics as well. But if you're creating a space for people to actually come together, that's actually um, meeting a lot of people's needs. Yeah, I agree with a lot of the things that you said. I think for us, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, you guys being a global organization and then us being a smaller business, right? We have 20 employees and we were kind of in a unique position going into COVID anyway, right? So we always thought that we wanted to go into a more virtual model, but we just never really had the nerve to just take the jump. Um, and so COVID kind of pushed us in that direction. Um, but we were already kind of moving towards like, how do we engage our employees with the model that we were currently in before COVID, which was that we were no longer uh, centralized with one headquarters in Miami, which we had and everyone was coming to an office. But I moved up to New York and we had another employee up here. So we were already in two different cities, but we still needed to function as a team. And it was, well, how are we supposed to interact with each other and how do we make sure that we maintain those lines of communication being in two separate cities? And now that we've moved to a fully, you know, decentralized model where, you know, we have 100% of our staff working remotely, um, we really had to think about, you know, what needs to be in place in order to make sure that we are <clears throat> engaging our employees on a daily basis. And, implementing some kind of a structure to make sure that we're in constant communication with each other. So one of the things that we did was that we implemented uh, daily team huddles uh, via Zoom every single day, right? And this is an easy way that we keep our employees engaged to make sure that they're on track, that they're meeting their deadlines, that they're being held accountable, um, and that uh, we know where everyone is and what everyone is doing, but also that we're resolving any roadblocks, right? So, you know, I can't do this. Instead of someone sitting at their hands at home, there's not someone sitting next to them to like reach out to, you know, we're having those communicate, the, the, you know, those conversations every day so that they can address those in the morning. The other thing that we did was that we implemented weekly trainings. So every Friday, which is something that we weren't being consistent with when we were all in the office, but we definitely are making sure that we're, you know, having a weekly training and that we're, staying up on education and we're taking that opportunity to go a little bit more in depth in what we need to communicate on as well. Um, so that's another way that, that we're making sure that we're keeping our employees engaged. The other thing that we did was that we really started heavily using Slack for IM and we're doing that, you know, team, we've created multiple channels for different topics and uh, the team communicates throughout the day. We have a random chat room for, you know, what did I do at the, you know, what did I buy at the grocery store that was unique or like, you know, like, 
hey, did you watch the TV show last night or whatever, those things that you would have had in the hallway. That's another thing that we've implemented. And then the other thing is, is that uh, we've made sure that not only with our members, but with our internal staff as well, that everyone's communicating through Zoom with their camera on. So it's another tool for making sure that you're engaged in the conversation that you're having and that you're not getting distracted by the television or, you know, your partner like doing the laundry or, you know, the unmade bed that's sitting next to you. That eye contact when you're having those conversations is really important. And then to also be able to see hands and, you know, facial expressions and different things like that is really important to make sure that messages aren't getting lost, um, you know, through just communicating. We've, we almost never use the telephone, like never. If we have to talk to someone, it's through a Zoom chat, uh, uh, through a Zoom, which is open through a Slack message. So those are some of the things. And then, you know, obviously like, yes, of course, we did the, the happy hour and I think everyone's over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more thing that I, that I would throw out there that we did that was, you know, kind of interesting and cool was that we did a, like a team bonding night where we, one of our clients is a, is a private chef and uh, we engaged him to do a, a cooking class via Zoom. So all of us got on Zoom. We all had bought the ingredients. Um, he walked us through the preparation of the meal. Um, and then at the end of the Zoom call, we set up, at the end of the cooking class, we all were on Zoom and we all ate together. So it was another like unique way to kind of make sure that we're staying engaged. We got the opportunity to talk about things personally and just be silly. And, um, and that's worked out really well for us. I have a quick question. Well, two questions for you. Number one, well, this isn't really a question. I like the Slack idea. I've uh, used Slack before. And I don't know if some people know this, but, or everyone knows this, but on Slack, you can also track who, which employees are using it or utilizing it the most versus who may not be on it at all, correct? And then- Yeah, it does send an activity report and it tells you, you know, how many conversations were had, how many people were added, yeah. you know, how many channels, yeah, it, it does do that. And I think that's helpful to know which of your employees Maybe you need to, you know, I don't, I don't know, reach out to or maybe keep an eye on. Are they doing okay as far as engaging with other people? Or maybe they are in a, in a spot where they don't want to talk to people. I think it does kind of help you to know which employees do in, enjoy that engagement through that way. Um, and I think like for us, you know, um, because we have the daily huddles, you know, that level of engagement we know is there, but for those of, you know, the people that might be listening that aren't having a daily meeting and aren't touching base with their employees on a daily basis, then yes, that would definitely be something that might be useful. And as far as the events go that you both mentioned, you have social events, you have trainings, uh, are all these mandatory or are they not? Or how do you decipher if they're going to be mandatory or not? Yeah, I can say we don't make we don't make any of it mandatory. I mean, there are certain trainings that are compliance based that are, you know, that I certainly I wouldn't necessarily put in the bucket of engagement that are mandatory. But I think what we found is, you know, it, it's really trying to meet people where they are. And frankly, everybody's in a different place. And um, so I, I think it, I think there's the, the need for 
the thing that you're doing with the daily huddles, Giuseppe, I think is great. And what we're asking our leaders to do is figure out what that is for your team, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a daily huddle? Is it you're expanding your weekly huddle a little bit differently? Is it that you are now doing a, you know, a team movie night trivia, whatever it is and what works for your team? Because I think, you know, in a company the size of Gap, everything can't come from the top or it just doesn't feel authentic and it doesn't feel real. Right. so I think managers, I'm seeing managers and leaders really work with their teams to figure out what, you know, what actually feels like good engagement for that team. How do they stay connected? Um, and then on a, on a sort of a broader level, we, you know, we've implemented things like across the company, we offer a speaker series that we do. Um, in the beginning, it was almost, it was like a 30 minute sessions twice a week. And it was everything from coaches, um, thought leaders, uh, you know, we, we would have a, 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 a basketball player, like all sorts of different people. Um, so it, it appealed to a broad range. And the idea was, we'll record it. You can pull it off of the, the web if you can't see it. We're going to, you know, you can't pick a time that works for everybody. Um, and we saw people dip in and dip out based on their availability and their interest. We've also started to do things um, like create forums, panels and forums that are actually interviewing or, or fa- facilitating conversations with employees about topics of the day. So whether that is, you know, we just did one last week for National Coming Out Day for LBGTQ plus um, History Month, right? And so we, we reached out to employees internally and said, who would like to do this? We facilitated a panel. So it's, we're, we're also leveraging employees themselves to, to um, either figure out what the topics are, be the people who are speaking. Um, we don't need to always go externally for that. And we're seeing a, a, a nice level of engagement. And I think what we're also seeing is because so much of our conversation is driven through Zoom, and I agree with you, have the camera on, have the, you know, the eye contact as much as you have eye, co- eye contact online. I feel like I spend my entire day looking at my own face, which is a little weird at this point. <laughs> but, um, you know, how are we also creating spaces for people to just have different kinds of conversations? Because I think when what we've heard loud and clear from people is when I work from home, you know, I don't have those commutes that are the bookend that tell me this is the start of my day and the end of my day. I literally can sit here for the next 12 hours, right? And if I, if we, if I don't create the space myself, nobody else is going to do it. So we're trying to find ways to create spaces throughout the day to give people an opportunity to have a different kind of conversation, um, to step away from meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, and I think the other thing that we've also done, and, and we've done this on a broad level and had leadership communicate this out, and then really leaders in, in general, uh, leaders that throughout the organization have been talking to their teams of, know what you need. And we trust you to do your job. So part of engagement is knowing when you're going to be at your best. And if that means you are, you know, starting earlier and finishing, you know, finishing earlier, Whatever that looks like, we're all trying to manage a whole host of different things. And so trying to be flexible about that and just increase communication of like, yeah, I need to sign off at four because I do need to do, I do need to do the end of the day, Zoom, whatever, whatever with my kids' school, um, you know, I think has been really nice. And I think it's given people some of the flexibility to have some control in a situation where a lot of us feel like we don't have a lot of it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, too, like, you know, you asked the question, you know, I, you asked the question that whether or not we make it mandatory and um, we do make 
our huddles mandatory, but um, you know, even within a small organization like ours with 20 employees, um, those huddles are confined to you know teams because we do have teams. So there are different departments within our organization that meet together. Um, we do one huddle a week where it's everybody. Um, but I think the big thing too is the trainings. The trainings are definitely mandatory because we want people to attend. If you can't attend, we do record the trainings. Mm -hmm. um, they're archived on our server and then people can go in and pull it down and watch it. Or if you want to watch it again, it's there. Um, but it's definitely something that we've made mandatory. Now, those things like, you know, the after hours, like we're going to do a cooking class together. Yeah. We don't require people to do them, but we do require them to let us know if they're going to do it or not, especially when there's a cost involved so that we can like, you know, accommodate for that. Um, you know, I think when, when, when you're, when you're smaller, I think it's really important that, um, that everyone show up because if it's you and two employees and one person doesn't show up, then it's half of your staff and that's a big deal. Yeah. So, so, um, I think making it mandatory for smaller organizations is probably definitely something that, um, that should be done. I think that makes sense. I think you have, I think you're right. Depending on your size is how, how you also should determine if it's going to be mandatory because if it is voluntary and you have 20 people and then two show up, I mean, what you can't really, that's not much of a social time or training. So you're right. I think that's a good thing to mention. Uh, and really just from what I've noticed from, you know, what my company has done is, there have, there have been things that are not mandatory, and it's not even that sometimes people don't want to show up. It's just that they truly just forget because in their head, I think they, they remember it being something they can do if they want to. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I think that's one of the most difficult decisions right now for HR is how to do these employee engagement uh, events or trainings and make sure you get high participation without making people feel pressured to join at the same time. They're almost like uh, contradictive sometimes. Uh, right. Yeah. I think part of what we've seen is it has been employee attendance and things has also been the good gauge for us to be like, oh, now it's time to pivot, right? So right. The Zoom happy hour, right? Like in the beginning, everyone was coming and then you get to the point where you're like, we need to do something else. Like people, people are, are done with this, right? And even our speaker series where we were in the beginning doing it two a week, every week, um, we, we kind of turned a corner where people were like, these are great, but it's too much. And so we, when attendance went down, we, we spaced it out a little bit differently. So the reality is from the size of our company and, and we do segment things. Sometimes it's either by brand or by team or in different ways because um, you know you can't engage everybody at once and and I think we have the we have the opportunity to say this is a brand moment versus this is a function moment versus this is a team moment um, and so I think it's also making sure that we're creating the opportunity for people to to participate in the things that make the most sense. Um, and, and really using those things in different ways. A lot of the brand moments or company-wide moments are really more informative. It's like, we want you to be engaged, so we're telling you what's happening. We're giving you an update on the business, or we're giving you an update on the strategy, and, um, and we do record those, and people can come, to, come uh, watch those or can pull those down and watch those after the fact. When you get to the functional level, um, you know, maybe that's the training, maybe that's informative, 
Um, it's real, and maybe some of it is actually a more social, um, social aspect. And when you get down to the team, it really does become more one-on-one -on -one or more social or more team building. So I think we can try to look at it in different layers uh, because people sit in different places in the organization. And sometimes being with your sort of intact team is what feels engaging. And sometimes getting exposure across the organization feels engaging too. That's true. Um, what, one thing I wanted to touch on is as far as you know, planning these events, I'll just say events, which can refer to any type of employee engagement, anything virtually. In the beginning, right now, for a lot of companies that were never virtual, I think a lot of them are trying to figure out, well, how, where do you begin with picking out or choosing or, you know, getting creative with what to do as far as these events? You know, who decides it? Who comes up with these ideas? Should you have the employees come up with these ideas? Should you come up with the ideas to start off with and then see how it goes? You know, uh, how many should you have? I think that's a really big question. A lot of HR professionals that I know have is how many of these programs should you have each month? Because they're so used to seeing their peers in the office every day. Yeah, I think for, um probably for a larger organization um, like Beth, um, like uh, at, at the Gap, you know, she mentioned a lot of, you know, a couple of times where she was saying, you know, we put out the content and then people can participate in what they want or what interests them, right? It's a little different when you're a smaller organization, right? We can't, we don't have the option to put out lots of content like that. We're limited on time, we're limited on resources. So we have to be really selective. Um, when I was really small, and it was just me and two employees, it was really easy. I would just ask them, hey, you guys wanna do this? Great. Okay, well now I've got 20 employees that were in multiple states um, all over the state of Florida and um, nobody's in the same place. Everyone has different interests and it's like, okay, well, how do you get everyone to you know, wanna do something? Well, the, the, the bottom line is that you can't, right? So <clears throat> you can poll people to come up with different ideas, or you can say, well, here's some of the things that we're thinking about and, you know, get kind of a read on the room. Um, I've done that before with success and without success. And at times I've gotten really frustrated with the team because they're like, well, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. It becomes like this huge fight. It's like, well, if you do that, then I'm not going to participate. So I've also gone in and just said, well, you know what, like, this is what we're doing. And if you want to participate, then great. If not, then don't, right? So some, you have to like know your team and, uh, and know what their reactions are going to be. If you have a team that's like really like all in on everything that you put forward, then it's really not a big deal to like throw out a bunch of ideas and get everyone on the same page. But if you have people that are going to be like very finicky and picky and, you know, going to fight with their peers and all this other stuff, um, or with you, right, then it's not worth the aggravation. And then I say, you know what, just come up with an idea, throw it out there and say, this is what we're doing. And then, and then people can either get on the, on the boat or not. Now, in terms of like how many you should have, um, you know, how many you should have also kind of leads into whether or not you have the budget for it. Um, or the time for it. Um, for us, what we found is that those events, right, where it's kind of like the extra, like after hours thing, quarterly is all we can handle, right? We're way too busy to be 
um, you know, in our personal lives and, and at work to be, to be doing an event every week, right? And there's not many of us. So that makes sense for us. And then, and then as a company too, just budget wise, you know, as we grow, I just don't see, you know, we have a certain amount of money that we want to spend and quarterly fits into our budget. So looking at where your finances are, I think is also something that you should heavily consider. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll see what Beth has to say about Gap, yeah. which I'm sure has a much bigger budget and a lot more to do. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also, I would say, pandemic's been tough with, with for retail too. Yeah. yeah, you know, the thing that I will say is, in some ways, I feel like we're using less budget, right? Because I think in an in-person environment, we felt the pressure to be like, have these bigger moments and that required just more production and more food and beverage and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, that's just not possible. We're not shipping, you know, cookies and champagne to everybody. So I think, I think it's, it's nice. It's free to yeah, it'd be nice. Um, it's freed us up to think about things a little bit differently. It's also changed our mindset a little bit of like, oh, it's nice to have those big moments, but the reality is we're doing more things more frequently. And I think our approach is more of that idea of bite size, even from a training perspective, right? We know learning is something that is engaging for people. A lot of times in the past we would hear, yeah, no, we only want in-person training you know, like a four hour class. And then of course the reality is nobody has time to do a four hour in-person class. So it's sort of this right. like weird circular thing. But to be able to do a, a more facilitated virtual 90 minute bite size conversation training on a topic like feedback or collaboration or empowerment or accountability, we're finding we're getting a lot more people coming to that. Because number one, you can make that time more easily. And by the way, People want to create are finding ways to create space and time where they're pulling away from meetings and having a different kind of experience. Um, and it is also then we're not trying to boil the ocean and train someone on here's you're going to you're going to learn everything about, you know, accountability. Nope, you're going to learn three or four things and you'll be able to start using them the minute you leave. Well, if you don't go anywhere. Right. But you, <laughs> you leave the Zoom room at least. Right. Um, so I think it has actually freed us up in a lot of ways. And we've we've we really haven't you know we've certainly spent some budget but because we're not trying to do big productions we haven't spent as much and it has again allowed us to or or, or encouraged us to say to employees like to really go where the energy is like we'll have employees raise their hands and say like hey I think I you know we really we really want to hear something about what parents are doing with this school situation like how is that happening so we can go and create a forum for that right um so I think it is this idea of in the past, we tried to create programming and very consistent programming that, you know, people knew what to expect all the time. The reality is most people don't know what to expect one day to the next in this situation. And, I, and I've definitely seen hills and valleys from, you know, March to April to May to May being like, oh my God, this isn't over and we're still doing this. And, you know, I, I think people's energies and people's, um, experiences have changed over time and so being able to be flexible and and really not investing tons of money but being able to invest the time to understand how can we shift things to meet people where they are is is it's been you know it is a bigger challenge um because it's not a you know set a program set it and forget it but it it does i think it's opened up a lot of different ways for us to to connect with our people I think too, one of the things that I was going to add to that when you're talking about, when we're talking about just budgets in general, um, one of the things that 
I've been thinking about when deciding like how much I'm going to spend on employee engagement yeah. is we're not in an office anymore, right? So that $4,000 a month savings or $5,000 a month savings that we were, um, that, we, that we are taking advantage of by having everyone work from home is money that, you know, is there. Obviously it was saved for, you know, other reasons, but there's still excess there. And so like, what are you gonna spend the money on now, right? Well, if we're not in an office location where we can't make people comfortable while they work, then how are we gonna use that money in order to make people comfortable and engaged while they're at home? So, you know, buying everyone, you know, $30 gourmet cupcake 12 packs on their birthday, right? Is not really as big of a deal as it would have been if we were all still in the office, right? It's like, all right, well, like, let's send them the cupcakes. Like we can't have a cake for them. So, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, So, you know, it's more about um, too, when people are thinking about their budget for this stuff, I think they should really think about reallocation because we are spending more money on like Zoom and, you know, other different telecommunication devices, um, you know, so that we can stay in communication. But then there's also that like, well, we can't have a cake for everyone, but we can buy everyone an individual gift. And um, you just have to constantly be reallocating and also just reassessing where you are in terms of your budget too, because you know, if you're in growth mode, like we are, right, we started like three years ago, it was me and two employees. And now we're three years in, we're at 20 employees. And now within the next year, we're going to double and then triple again, like within another year, like that is huge growth. And obviously your costs grow, but your revenue hopefully is keeping up. So just always keeping an eye on that. And, you know, reinventing like, how it is that you're engaging your employees, and keeping it within you know, a reasonable amount of budget, which is different for every organization, right? I, I wish I could just throw out like a percentage number and say, you know, 3% of your gross revenue, like, you know, it's, it's not like that. You really have to like, you, it's, it's really unique to every organization. Yeah. So uh, I wanna put you on the spot for a minute because I, I know we didn't talk about this before, but this came to mind. There are a lot of organizations that just don't have money at all to spend on programs. Do you think it's possible or doable to have programs without spending any money? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think that a lot of the things that we do to keep our employees engaged cost nothing. The only thing that we really have to pay for are things that we have to pay for anyway, which is Zoom, right? right. The Zoom accounts to keep people on for longer than 30 minutes is important, but other than that, I mean, you can do lots of things through, you know, just regular meetings that uh, will keep people engaged that you don't need to spend any money on at all. We've even played um, games together through uh, uh, the internet and it was free, right? You know, silly, silly trivia games or whatnot. You just have to be creative. I think there's plenty out there. I, I think you're right. No. Go ahead, Beth. Go ahead. No, well, I was going to say is even, you know, in a big organization, there are things that we can do organizationally for, for everyone. I think the reality is it's in your team, you know, your team of five people, 10 people, whatever it is, that's where people tend to feel their most level of connection anyway. Right. And so what I have seen leaders do is, you know, everything from we are, we are moving from a weekly meeting to a daily meeting. That's a form of engagement, right? Like, um, our one-on-ones, 
we we're making sure we're doing them consistently. And I'm not just asking you about how the work's going. I'm asking you about how your life is going. Like those are things that there, there's not a lot of flash and that has a lot more meaning to people. And, you know, and I love the idea, Giuseppe, that you re reallocated some of your budget to like, yeah, it does not cost a lot to send someone cupcakes. Right. But it is hugely meaningful because it's personal. And so mm -hmm. I think that idea of having a leader, you know, being a leader and, and having a leader who is, is, is treating you like a human being. And I, and, I, and I don't say that flippantly. Like, I think it's easy to get caught up in the like, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff to do. And certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, I think everyone was in a like, oh my God, how do we make business work in this environment? And once you get beyond the like, how, how do we actually just keep the trains running on time? Really, you know, thinking about, I, I think as a leader, the biggest resource you have is your time. And being able to say like, no, I am going to make sure I allocate time to you every week to have a conversation, that, that doesn't cost anything. I mean, it costs your time. It doesn't cost money, but actually has a much bigger impact on whether people feel connected to the organization, feel cared about, feel like they're a part of something bigger and a sense of inclusion and belonging, you know, allowing people to be their whole selves at work. And that may mean, you know, showing up to a meeting and being like, yes, my child is crawling all over me because that is the moment that I'm in right now. And, and having that be okay creates a much bigger sense of belonging than any program that I think anyone can create. Oh my God, totally hilarious that you just said that because I can't tell you how many times my business partner had her son crawling all over her during meetings and it's like, well, this is reality right now, so get yeah. over it. Yeah, the only reason my cats aren't on here is because I put them in the bedroom so that they didn't photobomb this. Uh -huh. I can hear a little bit of it. That's, that's... There might be some meowing in the background. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, but I think you both hit the nail on the head. I mean, really, at the end of the day, employee engagement is not about how much money you spend. It's not about how fancy the program is. It's about making your employees feel like you care about them on a level more than just them getting their work done, which could be as simple as sending a birthday card, you know, making it yourself if you truly don't have any money. But another thing that I really, I wanted to go back to is I, I really liked uh, Giuseppe that you mentioned that you used one of your clients who's a chef to mm. be a part of your employee engagement. I think that's a fantastic idea for companies that may be on a budget. You, and it doesn't have to be a client. There's so many people out there. I actually did an event a few months ago. Uh, and I, I reached out to someone who owns a wine company. Everyone needs help right now. They needed help. So I gave them the opportunity to get, do a virtual wine tasting. It didn't cost the people that attended anything. But it gave that person mm -hmm. the chance to tell about what they do, share their products, and then if someone wants to spend their money to purchase a bottle or something from them, then that's up to them. But most vendors right now, most people will do something without you know, charging a ton of money because they just want the opportunity at this point. So right. I think that- Yeah, and I, I think, you know, too, that's the benefit of, you know, just working in the line of work that we do, right? We have this huge membership community that's growing every day. And that's exactly what it is. It's a community. So whenever we're doing anything, we're always trying to leverage our community. And we will always engage with one of our members first as a preferred vendor. Um, especially nowadays during, you know, COVID times, we want to show that we're supporting, um, you know, our community in every way possible, not just by you know, doing their bookkeeping and their accounting work and you know, supporting them with their business making decisions, but also by, you know, paying for their services or paying for their products uh, when we have the opportunity to do so, especially if they're, 
if they're producing something that's fantastic, would like most of our members are. <laughs> well, uh, anything else you want to add real quick? We're almost out of time. No, I think I've, I think I've talked this to death. <laughs> I think you both had some great suggestions and I think it's going to be very helpful to all size businesses as to ideas they can do with spending money or not spending money. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad you both gave me your time and this is wonderful. So I am back with Beth and Giuseppe. We're going to talk some more about employee engagement. It's been about four and a half months since we last spoke. And in those four and a half months, we now have the vaccine that's being distributed. People are getting vaccinated. Some businesses have already gone back in person. So I really want to talk about how employee engagement looks in our future with this transition back to in-person. So what are you seeing, uh, Beth, as far as how is it changing or how can we change employee engagement? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is we, we have to acknowledge this idea of the future of work hasn't really been defined yet, right? Because we've got organizations that some people have started to go back in, some haven't. Um, I think companies are trying to navigate when is it safe for people to come back in and what, what does safe even mean? What does that look like? So I think that combined with the fact that people now have been working remotely for a year and some are itching to get back into the office and some are like, no, I actually kind of like doing this from my living room. I think the thing that I hear the most is how do we navigate figuring out what even the work environment looks like from a, is it a hybrid model? Are some people virtual or some people in person? What does that look like? Um, because I think that's probably the, the first thing from an engagement perspective. If, you know, if you've been told for years, like you can't do your job remotely and now you've just done your job remotely effectively for a year, I don't think people are gonna, gonna buy it when they're told again, like, no, no, now to be effective, you need to be in the office. So I think that's the first part is um, in order to keep people engaged is to find out what they really need and want from a day-to-day um, work experience once we actually are in a place, you know, we're gonna be in a transition period for a while, but once we get into a place where whatever the new normal is, lands. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we've started talking about what the future of work is gonna look like for ourselves as an organization. Um, we left our office in March of last year and um, both offices, New York and Miami, and started working remotely. And the majority of our staff is, are in Miami. And what we've been talking about is that um, we actually completely eliminated our Miami office and got rid of it altogether. So there's not really anything to go back to right now. Um, so the question starts to come up, well, what are we going to do um, moving forward? And we've gauged some of our employees in terms of like, you know, the ones in Miami, what, what is it that they like? Do they miss being in the office? Do they like being at home? And there's a good number of them that do miss being in the office. And if they had the option, they would go back. Um, we've decided as a company that we're probably not going to go back to an office setting at least until Q4 of this year. Um, even after everyone's been fully vaccinated, so we're not going to be taking any action. But I think that when we do go back, I, we are rethinking, like, what does that, what is that going to look like? It's not going to be a one person, one desk type of environment. We're looking at more of a communal space where people can get together, 
work together if they choose, uh, have meetings in person, meetings with members in person, and meet with each other in person to collaborate, but uh, not necessarily be at the at the that space every single day um, because there just won't be a possibility to be able to do that. We just don't think it's beneficial to us as a company um, to continue to pay for an expense like that with the type of work that we're doing in the model that we're building. Um, but we do wanna be able to offer something to our employees to connect and engage with each other in person if they choose to. And, um, and this, is the, this is the route that we're taking. And I think, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of businesses are having to cut that expense and, and then there's also some places that I've noticed that they're kind of doing something similar to you, Giuseppe, is they're, they're cutting out the office space in some areas and then some cities they're keeping it based on the amount of employees that are at each one. Do you, I think that's a good idea to have more of just a communal space for them to have that employee engagement, the, the social time collaborative, but not required to be there at a certain time every single day through a certain time. Do you find that anyone has asked to like, do you find or either one of you, do you feel like when you have, you're moving forward into this transition of going back to in-person, if a company does have an office in one city and maybe not one in another, do you feel like that will prompt some employees to want to move to be in the city where there is an in-person office? I, you know, I think it's, maybe it's a possibility. I think the thing that a lot of bigger companies are dealing with right now is they actually have had a lot of people move out of the city where there right. is an office, right? So they went to back home to Ohio so they could have family around to help with the kids and realize like, well, you know what, actually living here for a couple of years with a much lower cost of living than in New York City or San Francisco, is really helpful. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, what I've seen is companies now trying to navigate, you can't tell someone they can't move, right? right? But now what does it mean to truly be in the office and who's required to be and what are those stipulations? So I like what you said, Giuseppe, around, okay, we don't have an office, but here are the times when we'll figure out the space, but here are the times when we'll come together and here are the reasons for it, right? I think for, for companies that do have the office space, okay, when do we expect people to be in the office? What's the priority? And what happens if they don't live in this city anymore? Um, I think is, is the question that I'm seeing a little bit. Yeah, I've been noticing that um, some, we've been hiring, we've been going through a major hiring uh, round. Um, and so we've exploded to 30 employees at this point and we have another hiring round. So I've been interviewing a lot, a lot. And um, the, uh, the interviews that I've had with candidates, um, a lot of people that I've been interviewing, when I ask them why they're leaving their current position, a lot of people are saying that they're leaving it because they're looking for remote. And one of the questions that they ask me in that interview is to make sure that um, once things settle down with the pandemic, that we're not going to require people to go back to an office. And we assure them that that will never happen. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, there might be one, one time a year where we all come together as an organization at our headquarters in Miami and everybody would be expected to show up. And obviously we would, you know, pay for that travel. Um, but 
Um, I also think that, uh, you know, just in general, I think that there's just from an efficiency standpoint um, and a cost from a cost perspective, um, if you don't have to, you know, dish out money for the office space, then um, your that resource is better spent elsewhere, and it can make a company more efficient and more profitable. Um, you know, and there are you know ways like as we discussed in our first meeting, you know, to keep people engaged uh, remotely. So I think it's something to to consider. And I mean, and you're right as far as expenses. I mean, that money could be used to give raises or even use oh, yeah. the other thing that I was going to piggyback off of, sorry to interrupt you, but I just I regained my train of thought was <laughs> when Beth mentioned, you know, that person that's moving to Ohio. The other thing that um, I've seen a lot of lately is that um, companies are actually looking at doing geographic adjustments to salaries when people make those moves. So, you know, oh, well, you're not living in San Francisco anymore, so we're going to cut your salary by 40% because you moved to Arizona. Um, you know, that is a very real um, possibility for a lot of people um, that that's going to happen to them. We've even talked about it ourselves um, within my own company as to whether or not there needs to be geographic considerations to salaries and um, and you know, whether or not we're meeting market rates in, you know, in the different, you know, should we be even posting what the salary is with the job description or the range, right? Because we don't know where these applicants are gonna be coming from. Um, so something else to, to think about and consider, you know, these people that have left to go to Ohio, is it worth it to them to be in Ohio if they're gonna get their salary cut by 40% because they no longer live in New York City, or is it more worth it for them to pay the higher cost of living and get that 40%, you know, more in salary to be, to be back? So yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think people, though, are going to move, like, you know, the, the original question, are going to move to be closer to an office. One other thing that I'll say is I think that there's a chance that the co-working industry is going to experience a boom as a result of this, because the flexibility that co-working spaces provide in offices, I think is um, much more likely to be popular in the future than locking yourself into a long-term lease in a commercial space. Um, so I think that that might be something that businesses start to explore. People can come and go as they please. There are these co-working spaces all over the country. Maybe it becomes a benefit where if people want to opt into it, that you get a co-working desk at one of these spaces where you can go in whenever you feel like it, um, if you want to be around other people. So just something else to think about. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying really, because I've heard the exact same thing. I know companies are exploring, well, what does the pay band look like if you're not in one of these major metropolitan areas? And I think it just highlights that last year, which Still feels, feels like it's still going on. Um, last year, we were all, whether it be individuals or companies, were forced to make choices without having full information, right? Without actually knowing this stuff. And so I do think when we, when we consider employee engagement and all this, because they're, they're, all, they're all valid conversations. They're all things that companies need to look at and individuals need to consider. I think having a level of empathy and respectful timing when someone is trying to make a decision they made the best decision they could in 
April last year, they now need to maybe make a different decision or at least consider something different in April of this year because the, the dynamics have changed. But I do think one of the things that 2020 highlighted was this need for greater empathy um, in general and applying that now is I think gonna be more important than ever because some people to your point may choose to leave the organization that they're in um, but ultimately, if that's going to happen, then let that be a choice where someone has a little bit of space to do that. Sure. And how do you feel like if, so, cause the way I'm seeing it is if these employees do start to go to these co-working spaces or, and that's not provided by the company, then they're gonna also be co-working with other companies. So it's not how, you know, is that helpful to the employee engagement of, of each business? Because they're really engaging with other people at other companies, right? It depends on what industry you're in and what type of business you have. Um, I don't think that it necessarily is going to help engagement within your own organization, um, but it will help with other aspects of keeping your employee happy, right? Because that sense of community, camaraderie, um, you know, getting up to go to, to go somewhere in the morning instead of just walking around your block to sit in front of your computer in your living room, which is what a lot of us have been doing, um, is, is something that can help, you know, attitude, increase productivity, uh, you know, all of those other benefits. So yeah. um, that's my thoughts there. Well, and I think engagement is different for different people, right? So while some people have really liked working from home, the thing that has been challenging is to your point, I'm not seeing another human being throughout the day. So it's not so much that I miss the office, it's that I miss human contact. Right. And so does that human contact need to be someone else from my company? Maybe not. You know, I think that's where people who are solopreneurs or who have worked remotely, that's why these co-working spaces have been so effective for them over time. So I do think having some honest conversation with, you know, what do you need? What are you looking for? And, and I love what you said, Giuseppe, around maybe this is a benefit. You know, I think this idea of, of benefits packages and, and, you know, okay, yeah, I'm willing to take a lower salary, but what I would want as a benefit is that you pay the X amount per month for me to go to the co-working space. And that's a win-win for everybody. Um, but the thing that that takes is, is individual conversations having options and not having a peanut butter approach. Um, and that's gonna be the thing where it's, it's gonna be interesting to see if, if companies are, have the stamina for that. Yeah, and also I think that kind of going back to how you mentioned Giuseppe that you're gonna, you would probably eventually have everyone come to Miami and you would pay for the travel expenses. I almost feel like you'll see a lot of companies using that as an employee engagement strategy because if you do think about everything you've said, a lot of people will, sounds like, or they already are moving and they're not gonna be in the right. same city. So that co-working space, even if it were to be provided, it would be very difficult for them all to be in the same place. I think we will see a lot more companies having those annual trips or annual, like a conference or something and flying everyone to one place for that employee engagement time. Do you feel like that could be a a new way that businesses do things as far as engaging the employees? Yeah, I think, uh, I think definitely it's, uh, you know, company retreats, I think are very beneficial. And obviously if you're um, working with a, 
with employees as we are now that are across the country, um, then you know there's advantages to bringing everyone to the same place once a year. It's good for morale. Um, it allows for you to do um, you know different activities that you could you know team build uh, with around. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of value in that. So um, I think it's a good use of the, of the resource of less money in rent or no rent um, to put that towards or back into something that the employees will love. Now, the ones that um, for us, the ones that are already living in Miami, right? They're, they don't have to be flown anywhere and they don't have to get a hotel right? For the ones that are all over the country, they could kind of get a bigger part because they get a trip to Miami, but, you know, um, maybe in the future, it's in a different. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Well, before this pandemic, uh, my company did a, a trip for everyone to New York City, and I was like, well, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I will say the cool thing about that one is you did get to bring a like a plus one or a guest so you could fly a friend or someone family member in from somewhere else but you're right I mean always there's going to be employees that kind of get the short end of the stick and they're not getting to fly somewhere but I do think it would be cool if companies start to do these sort of trips that they might still get to stay in the hotel with everyone and yeah you know why not yeah so that everyone can be in the same place it's a good idea exactly yeah so I'm happy to come to yours and let you know how it is Come on down. I love Miami. <laughs> it's great and it's warm, which is what I need. So, I mean, I think everything we've discussed is something a lot of change is relative to a lot of changes we've seen in just the past four months, because last time we spoke, we didn't really see any in-person happening in the near future. But now with this vaccine, I mean, we really are starting to see places go back. The one thing, another thing I wanted to bring up is now that we are in this environment of being able to work remote, I mean, do you find that other companies are going to start also hiring outside of the country, which will then really make employee engagement difficult, I think. I mean, even if you're trying to do it virtually or in person, the time difference makes it difficult too. I think hiring outside of the country, and I, I just happen to know about this because there's a friend who's has been dealing with this in her organization through COVID is um, they have a large international uh, population who lives in the U.S. who decided to relocate back to whatever their home country was. There are enormous tax implications to that. So while you can open up, you know, while virtual allows you to say we can have people working all over the place, there's actually some really specific tax implications, particularly to people living in foreign countries. There's also tax implications too. If there's someone in the US working remotely where you don't actually have a business unit, you have additional taxes to pay there too. So this is the other thing that's interesting as we say people can't, and, and some of that I think has been relaxed or suspended during COVID because COVID, right? Like we were all dealing with something we didn't, we didn't know about, we, didn't, we couldn't plan for. But it is going to be interesting because as companies now have employees say, hey, I want to relocate to X, pick a city, pick a place either internationally or in the U.S., companies are going to have to consider, like, what is the implication of that? Do we have to pay additional taxes? How will we let people, will we let people move? How will we support that? So um, I think, I think companies are now 
getting into the weeds of that a little bit more. So I would be, unless it's actually, a, they have a business unit in another, um, in another country, I don't know how much co companies are even going to be able to offer that. Yeah, I think this has been a problem that's come up um, for a lot of companies. Uh, the, the tax implications are more along the lines of whether or not that person or that individual is going to maintain a residency address here in the United States and a bank account in the United States, or whether or not they're going to fully relocate to that other country. Because when you relocate to the other country, you have to pay them. You're going to have to pay them through payroll in that country. There's not a lot of payroll service providers throughout the world that can handle payrolls in multiple countries, in multiple currencies, right. understand the, the complex payroll tax laws in all different um, jurisdictions. So that's something that's a challenge. There are some of them out there that are moving in that direction, but that's really where the tax implication comes into play. Most of the time when people send work abroad, um, they're doing it with other companies, right? And those companies are paying the people that are actually doing the work. They're managing the payroll. They are handling the benefits. They're complying with local rules and regulations, right? So you have to think about like, is it a person that was working with you now that's moving like Beth was saying, or is it someone that you're considering hiring abroad? Two very different things. Um, I think that there's a stigma in certain industries around hiring abroad. There's been such negative um, you know, there's such a negative connotation to, you know, people in call centers all over the world, so much so that, you know, bigger banks and larger organizations have started moving these, these call centers back stateside. Um, even in my industry, um, you know, uh, in the accounting world, lots of outsourced accounting has been happening um, abroad to places like the Philippines. And, you know, sometimes that works really well, sometimes it doesn't. And, um, you know, I think that uh, the, the, the consensus that I get right now is that most people prefer to deal with people that are stateside um, than, than people in, in, foreign, in foreign countries. I think that's probably true. And, and I do think a lot of it's because of that negative connotation that comes from someone's bad experience they had on a customer service line with like a larger like cell phone provider or something like that. I do think though, it does, it does open up more doors for employers as far as candidates, but I don't know how worth it it is to some employers because there are so many tax implications and complications that you run into. But as far as employee engagement, I mean, I could, I could really see it for some employers that are um, open to the you know, international of hiring internationally, you could accumulate a good amount of employees in the same area internationally. And then you have to figure out at that point, uh, well, are we gonna have an office space for them there? Or are we not? Um, are we gonna fly them to the US to engage with our US employees? Or are we gonna keep them separated? And are they gonna be working the same hours? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a big divider between the employees as well is, are they gonna be considered their own little group? Or are they gonna be part of, part of the group in the US? I mean, there's international spaces where you can put people outside of you know, the Eastern time zone um, that, are, that are still international, right? There's Canada, there's South America, right? Where, right? But I think most of the time when people are thinking of outsourcing, they're thinking more 
east, far east, right? They're thinking more, like especially within the white collar world, they're thinking more um, Asia, I think, and uh, even even India. Yeah, I mean, Australia would be very difficult. Australia, I don't really think that there would be that much of a cost benefit because it's so similar to us. True. Most of the time when people are offshoring, it's, it's for the purpose of savings. And if you're gonna move to a country like Europe or like Australia, there's not really much in terms of cost savings there. Right. And, and Beth, I know you're kind of on the search right now. Are you noticing or from your other friends as well that are in the industry, are you noticing that there is any sort of competition between employees that are international and not? You know, I'm not seeing international. The thing that what the thing that I am seeing, a lot of companies now are are actually um, nationally opening up jobs and saying we this person can sit anywhere, right? I think I think companies are getting really clear on. This type of role, some you need to physically be in the same space. You're dealing with product. You have to collaborate in a in the same environment. And these types of jobs aren't like I sit in the HR space, and a lot of times you can do HR from any place. So I've seen a lot of roles where in companies, particularly the HR organization, can work remotely anywhere as long as it matches in terms of a, a, a negotiation around time or time zone and, and what the working hours are. Um, because there isn't a, a huge need to physically be in the same space. So I, you know, and I think that's something for years, I just haven't ever seen out in the marketplace, um, this idea that companies would proactively say you could work remotely or work anywhere. So it is a little bit of a shift there. I think there's also, um, you know, a, an opportunity for companies to give a little bit more autonomy to leaders to figure out how to, you um, engage, give them a budget to engage their team in a little bit of a different way, right? In the past, leaders have a certain amount of budget, either for training or maybe for the holiday party or whatever the case may be. But, you know, for you, Giuseppe, to be able to fly everyone, um, or at least a part of your, your organization to Miami, so everyone can be together. In a large company, you're often not ever going to pull everyone together, but to say to each business unit, here's the funding that you have, make the decision on how you're going to use it. Is it you're going to pull people physically together and what would that require? Um, are you gonna use it for some other type of engagement? Maybe that's a, a, a virtual learning session or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there is some exciting opportunities out there to really give leaders bespoke ways to really engage their teams rather than um, everybody does the same thing, which is often what we've, we've, we've done in the past. Mm 